Open our ears so that we may hear your voice rising above those who would distract. Open our minds so that we may receive your eternal wisdom. Open our spirits so we may know your leading and guidance. And open our hearts so that we may receive the free gift of your wonderful love. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Bill? <laughs> in Matthew chapter 5, uh, the opening verses. Are you, are you hungry this morning? I'm serious. I mean, it, it was telling this week when I started to think, when, if I had to think of the time in my life when I was the hungriest, right? I had a hard time, right? Um, I, I don't presume to speak for you, but in my almost 60 years, I, I have never really been that hungry. I've never gone without food that long where I was truly, truly hungry. Um, that was telling for me. And the same thing with thirsty. I mean, I've been thirsty before. Uh, I've been in some pretty dry places um, and gone without water for a little while. But again, not, not very long. Not really. Um, and it just reminded me that, you know, when I, when I come to the, uh, the Beatitude today uh, that says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled, they will be satisfied. Um, just on the physical level, I don't know that I've actually experienced intense <coughs> hunger and thirst. I'm just, I'm just being honest. I'm not sure I really have. Um, but I know that people who have been, and certainly Jesus' audience for this, probably were not unfamiliar with either hunger or thirst. But of course, hunger and thirst stand in here for this kind of intense focus, desire don't they? I mean, we, we even use it that way 
uh, in our wider culture, uh, it's it's often used as a as a trope, as a kind of metaphor, uh, in, in the sports world particularly, right? Um, we'll talk about um, you know a team's really really hungry for a victory, right? Or a particular player um, may have you know, sort of sealed up their starting assignment for quite some time and uh, has gotten a little lackadaisical and we'll say that they've, they've lost their hunger, right? And some, and some young <coughs> up-and-coming star comes along and takes his or her place, right? And we say they were just hungrier, right? They just wanted it more. And so there's, we use the language of, of hunger in our culture to talk not just about food, um, but about other things that we, we long for uh, with some type of intensity. And, and that's what our beatitude for today is about. Uh, this deep longing, uh, this deep desire, kind of focused desire what Matthew calls hunger and thirsting for righteousness. Now let me remind you, um, because we've said that the Beatitudes uh, in the Christian tradition are kind of a ladder. They're not just sort of eight uh, Beatitudes sort of thrown together in some type of uh, willy-nilly way. But there's, there seems to be a kind of uh, progression so you'll remember, I hope, uh, at least those of you who were here, uh, that the first one had to, uh, had to do with being poor in spirit. The first three have to do with an acknowledgement uh, of, of our neediness um, before God. So this being poor in spirit, this, this matter of, of coming open-handed, um, that, that our hands are empty. Now we don't presume that, that, that we have anything. Um, and then, blessed are those, those who mourn, those who, who see the world through tears, um, who are aware of their, their own brokenness and the brokenness of the world, and aren't afraid to weep uh, because of that. And, that's, and last week we talked about Blessed are those who, who are meek, who are humble, uh, who don't uh, expend uh, large amounts of energy as I am wont to do, um, defending and justifying myself uh, to the world. Uh, that part of, the, part of the good news of the gospel is um, that God ultimately uh, is our justifier and I don't have to devote my whole life trying to convince you and other people that I am something uh, because in the gospel, in the face of Jesus Christ, we see that God has already declared us as someone. So there's this, there's this kind of, if you will, a kind of recognition of emptiness um, in these first three Beatitudes. And then it kind of transforms, moves here in this fourth beatitude 
to a recognition of emptiness and yet a desire to be filled, right? Um, you know, there's most of us, although this is, this is a, our own cultural problem, uh, most people around the world don't eat unless they're hungry, <laughs> right? Um, now, I eat three or four times a day whether I'm hungry or not, but uh, again, that says more about me. In other words, you won't, you won't have a deep longing, an intense desire and hunger to be filled if you think you're already full. So you can see how this sort of fourth beatitude presumes the first three. It presumes a kind of emptiness that longs to be filled, but filled with what? And one of the challenges, of course, in our day is that every day, in a hundred different ways, we are given all kinds of things. We are, uh, we are have placed before us, recommended to us, countless things to which to fill that emptiness, that longing. Now, human beings have this deep longing. You know, the, the famous fourth and fifth century um, theologian Augustine famously said that you have made us for you, O God, have made us for yourselves. And, and we are restless. We as human beings are restless until we find our rest in you. So there's a sense in the Christian tradition that we have this, this deep longing that we, that we ache to have filled. This deep desire. We have this, if you will, a kind of holy discontentedness that's built up inside of us. Uh, that's actually placed there by God. This sort of holy discontentedness. You know, sometimes we think that you know, we are called to be content. This is true. You know, Paul talks about that, right? In all things I've learned to be content. Um, but there's also, if you will, a kind of holy, God-ordained discontentedness built inside of us that is intended to make us long for God and the things of God, to, to hunger and thirst after God and the things of God. And yet, of course, the challenge in our day, and it's not new to our day, but we've raised it to a science and art, if you will, is every day we have all kinds of voices telling us what, what might fulfill, what might satisfy that longing that all of us sense at the, at the heart of us. We all have this deep and abiding longing and every day someone comes along and says, you know what, if you just had this, if you just bought this, if you just went there, if you just did that, that would satisfy you. That would satisfy that deep longing. 
And I'm pretty sure everyone in this room has been around long enough to know it ain't so. It doesn't work. It just doesn't. Um, sometimes we're not even, we're halfway through the checkout line and we already know it's not going to do for us what we thought it was going to do. It just doesn't satisfy. It really doesn't. Yet the, and yet that longing, that longing to be filled, to be satisfied, is not, it's not a bad thing. Um, it's just about where it's directed. Where do we allow, where do we look for that fulfillment, for that satisfaction? And Jesus here in the Beatitudes, who is reminding us, telling us, announcing to his audience, just to remind us, that this, there's this new world breaking in. Uh, Jesus calls it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. This new world is breaking in. And, and you can see it right now, Jesus suggested, if you have eyes to see, but you have to know where to look because it's an upside down kingdom. And so it doesn't sort of, it's not easily recognizable. And so the opening of these Beatitudes, proclaiming who, who is blessed in this upside down kingdom. And it's people who are open-handed to life, um, who see the world through tears, who desire something more than what the world has on offer, who are in a position to welcome and receive this new kingdom that's breaking in, and who, by doing so, and by God's grace, might in some way bear witness to this God and this kingdom in their day. Um, and so, in some ways, if you're a kingdom citizen, you're called uh, to live as a kind of embodied anticipation of the future. Right? Because this kingdom that God is bringing is not simply future, it's also present. And so we are called to some imperfect way to live as an anticipation of the full future of God's kingdom now. Well, who are the people who are called to live that way? Well, some of the ones who are blessed, the ones we're focusing on today, are the ones who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied, they will be filled. Now, the tricky part about today's lesson, as you might guess, is trying to unpack this really churchy word, righteousness. Right. I mean, it's hardly a, a churchier word than that. I mean, when do you ever hear the word righteousness in American culture if you aren't in church? Have you ever heard it outside the church? Righteousness? I'm not sure you have. Maybe you have. Again, I don't want to presume on your experience. I'm not sure I have. Right? Um, so that, that puts us at a disadvantage because, you know, like... How do you understand a word that we don't use any other time? And it, and it sounds pretty abstract, right? It's like it's one of those abstract nouns, righteousness. Um, and, and the New Testament talks about it a lot, although surprisingly, surprisingly, you'll be surprised by this, most of you. Um, it shows up very little in the Gospels. 
the word righteousness. It shows up most in Matthew, where we are. It shows up not at all in Mark, zero. Comes up once in Luke, and two times in two verses in John. That's it. So, Matthew uses it around seven times, and five of them are in the Sermon on the Mount. So, what we're going to do today, and I just, I'm just going to be honest here, okay? Um, we don't, in a half an hour, have, you know, we don't have enough time for the rest of the year to unpack everything we might say about righteousness. Today, all we can do is see if we can get our minds around a little bit what Matthew seems to mean by righteousness. Um, which may or may not mean exactly the same thing that, say, Paul means by righteousness. And how you resolve that issue is an issue for another day. Um, but you know what? I mean, if we're, if we're in the Beatitudes and we have a kind of humility uh, about us that's been shown to be important, I think we, can, we ought to be able to sit with that for a week or two and not worry about trying to resolve it today, right? Um, we're just trying to see what, what might Matthew have been trying to say? Because, as we know, he's talking to a Jewish audience, uh, primarily, and so uh, it wouldn't be surprising that righteousness is a pretty important theme in the Hebrew Scriptures. And, um, so it's not, and it's not all that surprising that some of the other Gospels make very little of it, since they weren't addressed primarily to a Hebrew audience. Right? So what's Matthew mean by it? Here we're going to just focus briefly, briefly, briefly um, on sort of what, how does it come up in the Sermon on the Mount? Because if you're trying to find out what Matthew means, let's see how he actually uses it right here in these three chapters. Uh, most of it's in chapter 5. Um, one, one passage that's pretty familiar to you is just the next chapter over in chapter 6, a verse that some of you probably memorized when you were young, right? Uh, 6.33, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, right? And all these things will be added to you. This is after Jesus is talking about, you know, like, don't worry about what you'll eat and what you'll wear and all those things, right? All the I mean, you know this passage, right? Um, but seek this first, right? So it sounds, that sounds like a kind of echo, right? Seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness. Seek that. Sounds very similar to like hunger and thirst after righteousness. But just later, in chapter 5, uh, Jesus has these sort of unsettling words, if we're honest, right? And I, I guess I should have said earlier that a lot of what we're going to talk about today is unsettling. You know, I haven't unsettled you all that much lately, so I felt obliged. Uh, and I haven't gotten in trouble lately, so I thought, you know, I'm probably not speaking the truth enough. So, um, just fair warning, if you want to slip out now. <laughs> So this is, you know, Jesus is uh, in verses 17 and following of chapter 5 talking about that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then in verse 20 he says, 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And just friend a reminder, because it's so hard to keep this in mind, when Jesus is talking about entering the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about going to heaven. Right? He's talking about entering into this new thing that's breaking in now. Like who's going to be able to enter into this new world that's right here, right now? Uh, there's kind of two worlds going on. Uh, one's passing away, one is coming into fulfillment. Um, it's going to be hard to enter into that world unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And then he goes on, right, to, to give some examples of the way in which our righteousness needs to exceed. And before we look at the examples, I want to back up and remind you something about the structure uh, we've talked a little bit about this, but not enough. Um, we, we talked that of the eight Beatitudes, the first and last, begin with talk about the kingdom of God, right? Being the kingdom of heaven uh, shall be granted to them. But righteousness is also uh, there in the first and last, right? Because the, the closest reference to righteousness outside of our Beatitude for today is in the last one. Um, blessed are you when people. Uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, you've got uh, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of heaven in one and eight beatitudes. You've also got righteousness, uh, and, and so it's sort of like a kingdom of heaven sandwich, if you will. Okay, the first beatitude and last beatitude both say that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And inside that, it's interesting that you've got righteousness in four and eight. Four, you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And eight, you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Isn't that interesting? So in four, you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness' sake. And by, by ten, you're being persecuted for it. Which makes you sort of think that whatever happens in 5 through 7 might have something to do with righteousness, right? Um, and it's interesting. 5, we'll talk about next week, it has to do with mercy, those who are merciful. 6 has to do with the pure in heart. 7 has to do with peacemaking, right? The peacemakers. So it seems like that might be part of what Matthew thinks is righteousness, has to do with righteousness. Righteousness generally means, from the Old Testament uh, through, uh, the Jewish people had to do, it, it's connected with what we often call justice, doing right. And doing right, not just for its own sake, but because doing right creates right relationships. Right? We're social creatures. We've talked about that a lot in here. And so the reason we're called to righteousness and justice is because our relationships need to reflect the good order of God. And so we have to, quote, do right by one another. Righteousness is not just something internal to me. Righteousness is relational. It's our relationship with God. It's our relationship with one another. 
even would include our, the right relationship we have to the rest of the created order. And so, what, what does righteousness look like? Well, for Matthew, at least in this little bit, it looks like this. It looks like, well, one, it's going to be extending mercy. It's going to be extending mercy. That somehow our right relationships with one another have to be grounded in mercy. This is part of the kingdom of God. right? This new world that's breaking in is the kingdom of mercy. And so we have to be people marked by mercy. We're going to come back to this. It's just a little preview. right? It's like the trailer for the next three weeks. right? But I don't think you can understand this one unless we see sort of the big picture here, the structure. And so, and the middle one is the, is the pure of heart, uh, which Jesus is going to illustrate here in, to, in the, you have heard it said, but I say, I think. And then he talks about peacemaking, which I think he's also going to talk about uh, at the end of chapter 5, what that looks like. So, real quickly, just kind of remind ourselves. So, we'll come back to mercy next week. I think that one's doesn't necessarily have to be illustrated. It's hard. It's hard to imagine that we can have right relationships with God and one another apart from mercy. Um, this is, if, if you have to be convinced of that, then we have to go back to, you know, fundamentals of the gospel, right? We only stand before God because of God's mercy and freely we have received, freely we give. The pure of heart is more difficult, but I think Jesus starts, even in the Sermon on the Mount, to explicate that, to talk about that somehow, you know, our standing before God and our relationship with one another, our relationship to God, is rooted in what we call, what Scripture calls, our heart, that out of which all things flow. And in Jesus' day and in our day, uh, it's easy for me, it's easy for you uh, to sort of pick up Jesus' metaphor. It's easy to look like a, a, a clean cup on the outside and yet have all kinds of garbage on the inside. And, and Jesus talks about that. And, and so the problem with the Pharisees and the scribes work that they weren't seeking God um, is that Jesus thought uh, that there were at least times when um, they were engaged in the activities of the day, but didn't really hunger and thirst for true righteousness, and also didn't do it from a pure heart. And it's easy to stand in judgment. Uh, if Jesus were in our day, he would probably say things like, um, you know, you, you go to church every Sunday and you sing in the choir and you, you serve in the melting pot but out of what do you do all that? Out of what do you do all that? Um, because it has to be done, Jesus says, as if it's going to be out of God's righteousness, it has to be done to God's glory and it has to be done because we really hunger and thirst that all things 
all our relationships would be made right uh, in God. And so he goes on to say these things about, you have heard it said, but I say to you, like you've heard it said, he says, right after he says, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. You've heard it said, in those ancient times you shall not murder. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. Right? We talked about that once, uh, feels like years ago, we were thinking we were doing the hard sayings of Jesus, right? Um, this notion that the command not to murder uh, wasn't its own end. The idea wasn't that if, if I don't murder, then somehow my relationships are right, right? Um, and most of us, once we see that, understand it was intended to be a kind of hedge, right? A, a kind of uh, a kind of protection around to kind of remind people like that's a problem, right? But just because I'm not uh, murdering my children doesn't mean we're in the right relationship, okay? Um, because and Je Jesus understood that the, the impulse to murder another person comes from the anger within, and so. Jesus wants us to recognize that, you know, wh where does this come from? And so he's, he's, he's calling us to see that righteousness, it's not enough. I mean, it's not a bad thing not to murder people, right? It's not a bad thing. Um, but but that's, that's not enough, right? I mean, I, I mean, it's easy. It's easy to look around in the world uh, and say, I'm not a criminal. I'm a pretty good guy. And Jesus is trying to say, you know what? If you really hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, then it can't be enough that you're just not murdering. Uh, God, longs, God longs for our life, not because... Not because we're, God wants us to earn brownie points by being better people. It's not about that. It's about God wants us to live into our full humanity for which we were created, which is a social humanity. And we can't do that. Uh, I can't do that if I've got a hair trigger temper. I'm just going off on people. But I'm not murdering anybody. Right? Although in my mind, I am. Right? <coughs> And then he goes on to say other things, right? Uh, talks about uh, adultery and, and lust. Talks about divorce. And to remind you, you know, again, Jesus, Jesus cares about divorce because of justice and righteousness, right? In Jesus' day, uh, divorce was, was a way in which... Uh, women were horribly abused because they had no power. And Jesus is, Jesus is, is calling out, honestly, Jesus is calling out the men of his day who have turned divorce, which he said, God made an allowance for because of the hardness of our hearts. But they had used it flippantly in ways that May put women out on the streets, defenseless. So it wasn't just a matter of piety that Jesus was concerned about divorce. It had to do with justice and righteousness, about right relationships. Okay. 
He goes on to say, you've heard it said of ancient times, don't swear falsely. He says, you know, don't. it's not enough not to swear falsely. He says, how about, you, how about your yes be yes? How about you be people that when you say something, people can trust your word? You don't have to swear by something as if you can make it happen. Um, what if you were known to be, what if the, the people of God were known to be people that their word meant something? And you don't have to swear by heaven and earth. I mean, just be a person of your word. An eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, you've heard it said. Then he says, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. And do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. I mean, here Jesus is, again, looking at right relationships. As most of you know, the, the so-called uh, Old Testament law about an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth was meant to limit the violence, right? We like to read that as uh, a justification for our violence, right? Uh, you took my eye, I get to take yours. Well, in Jesus' day, there was an attempt to limit the violence, right? I mean, because typically if you took my eye, then I'd take your eye and your right arm too. And that just kept escalating and escalating and ex escalating. But again, that, that law was never intended to be the end of the story. And so Jesus, Jesus gives these, these three sort of... Uh, this three sort of quick cartoons, you know, cartoons sometimes just like you have three panels and you just have to fill in the rest of the story. And Jesus sort of gives us three short cartoons, sort of images of what this might look like that has to do with our relationships with each other and what it might mean to actually live into our full humanity. And they often come from times of oppression. Um, someone strikes you on the, you know, the cheap turn the other also, right? And most people think that this was a kind of offensive thing that was probably done to slaves and women and children, that you were slapped on one side of the face because you weren't anybody. It was to put you in your place. And so Jesus advises uh, to turn the other cheek. Why? Because he's some kind of, you know, encourages us to kind of masochism or sadism. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, you know, open up the eyes of the person who's struck you and let them see you're a human being. Right? Because when, when, they, when they strike you on the one cheek, they have the power. When you turn the other one, now you have the power. Because you're saying, I'm a human being. Same thing with the coke. I mean, if someone takes you to court and, you know, uh, takes one of your garments. You say, fine, how about you take the other one? So you're, st because in, in that day, that's, well, a lot of the poor people, that's all they had, right? Often was their, their blanket for the night. And so if, if you go to court and, and someone takes that from you, right? They have all the power. It's like, okay, I'll stand here in court and I'll take off the rest of my clothes and stand here naked and you can see what you're doing and so the rest of the world can too. They can see the way you're dehumanizing me. And I'm going to force you to see me as a human being. See, it's about relationships. 
It's about right relationships. You know, we, we talk about going the extra mile. We've sort of evacuated this, this story of any real teeth, right? It's, you know, it's what you do if you work overtime at work, right? You get the extra mile award because you work 80 hours a week. Um, but in Jesus' day, as you know, I mean, you know the, you know the story. Um, in Jesus' day, the Roman soldiers couldn't uh, enlist you, make you carry their pack for, for about a mile. And there used to be markers at the edge of town where you could drop the pack at that point, right? Because you were done. That's all you were obligated to do. The Roman soldier couldn't ask you to carry the pack past the mile. Jesus says, you know, if someone asks you to do that and you get to the mile marker, you just keep on walking. Why? Um, because now you have the power to force them. Because you're not, you're not a mule anymore, you're a human being. And you're not doing it because you're made to do it. You're doing it because you can do it. You will do it because you want to open their eyes to see your humanity. And they're going to ask you to put it down because the Roman soldiers are going to get in trouble. <laughs> right? They could get in trouble if they saw you carrying the pack because everyone else would assume that they were making you carrying it past what was lawful. It's like, no, I'm not taking this pack off. We're going another mile. Why? Because now I'm a human being. Okay? I'm not your pack mule. Jesus cares about right relationship. And so it says, unless your righteousness, unless your desire to live in right relationship with one another exceeds that of the Pharisees, Right. Um, that, that's, that's a kind of interesting peacemaking exercise. Because there'll never be peace, as we'll get to we'll never get peace until we see each other as real human beings. So Jesus wants us to desire and thirst. Right? The ones who are blessed in this kingdom are ones who hunger and thirst after righteousness and they'll be the ones who will be filled will be satisfied now it's it's not unimportant to recognize that jesus does not say blessed are they who are righteous you might think that's what he'd say but jesus is not going to say that given what the first three are right um, because if I thought that the point was for me to be righteous, I mean, that's his criticism of the scribes and Pharisees, is they think they are more righteous than others. And at one level, they certainly appear to be. But Jesus is saying this new kingdom reveals the kind of emptiness of my own righteousness. And so, Jesus can go on to say, you know, that we're even called to, to love and pray for our enemies, uh, which again is about peacemaking, to see my enemy as also created in the image of God. To hunger and thirst after righteousness. When's the last time I was really, really hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for 
the relationships in my life, in, the, in, the, in my circle of influence, for those relationships to be right, to be just. You know, it's not uncommon when you've been ill for your doctor to ask you, how's your appetite? Because there's something unhealthy about not having an appetite. At some level, we, we know that. And yet, this week I was trying to think like, what's, what's my appetite for righteousness? Righteousness in all my relationships, in my, in my family, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in our community here in Johnson City, in our congregation. Do I really, and do I have a, a deep and abiding hunger and thirst for that? Jesus seems to think that this won't be filled completely anytime soon. That there's something about stepping in to right relationships that makes you want it more. It actually intensifies the longing. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you've longed for something and you actually received it, but it just made you want it more. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus seems to be talking about. That these that this side of Jesus returning, we're probably not, we probably shouldn't be, can't be completely satisfied with the state of our relationship. We have to hunger and thirst for this. What's that look like? Well, I said I hadn't gotten in trouble. So this could all sound really abstract. So here's the one I've been thinking about this week. We, we are wrestling as a community um, to think about what does it mean to long for justice, to long for right relationship with our homeless neighbors in downtown Johnson City. <coughs> Certainly, we want to do right by the business owners in town who have something at stake. But we also can't do right by them on the backs of some of the most vulnerable people in our city. Most of us know that homelessness has no quick fix. If it, if it did, we would have done it. And so would every other city in America. It's not simple. It's not simple. Um, and we, we feel torn in our hearts often. But do, you know, I was thinking this way, do I really hunger and thirst for righteous, right relationship for all of us with just this one segment of vulnerable population in our town. It's not all of righteousness, it's just one thing I've been thinking about this week. 
try to give some concreteness to this beatitude. What would it mean to hunger and thirst that, that these people, some who no doubt um, want to be there, some know who doubt are likely mentally ill, uh, some 